very blue. Can we scoot through Keep Forgetting? It's absolutely pointless, uh, both as a cover and as a song. I genuinely think it's the worst thing he's ever done. It's worse than God only knows. It's not the, the most offensive, but why is it there? Why does it exist? Well, John, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Boy at the time, no, no. I, I, scrabbling for excuses, uh, talked about that song and the other covers on the album and said, I guess I was going for a kind of violent, frantic version of pinups. He tried to pin pinups on tonight right. at one point, well, okay. uh, which is absolute it's hogwash. You, you forget it while you're listening to it. Keep forgetting you don't want me no more. Keep forgetting you don't want me And again, it's Dave doing doing a thing. He's doing now doing the Brill Building. Bog standard labour staller rocker. It's like yeah. walking through a spider's web. It's played quite frantically, but at the same time, extremely anemically. It's a nothing song. Even talking about it at this length is doing it too much justice. With the big boys. D-W- B-W-T-B-B, as we call it from now. Yeah, yeah, D-W-T-B-B. Yeah. Well, John, hot take. It's the worst song on the album. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Let's go out on a big fat shit. Oh my god. It's like the it's like the musical equivalent. Somebody suddenly stabbing you in the eye out of nowhere. Yeah. It's the most abrupt, ugly, jarring end to an album. And on top of that, it's of Turkey. This is one of the Bowie's favourite songs on the album, too. This is this what is I was what trying to... This was what I was grasping for. This, was, this yeah. is what I was going for. This is the sound <laughs> I was approximating. Everything else was too musical. <laughs> I wanted this is the sound I was going for, something urgent and primitive. It's dreadful. <laughs> the notion of him and, him and fucking Iggy edging each other on in the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming up with one-liners. Um, it sounds like the background music that Casey Kasem would use to introduce America's top 10. Awful. It's, it's the, the paradigm, awful in, uh, 80s commercial music that has nothing in it. It's, a, yeah. it's, 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 it's content-free. It's, it's a classic Bowie example of trying to ape the sass of, of, of Iggy. Bowie's not a sassy bitch like Iggy. It's also the other Cardinal Bowie faux pas, which he goes political on this. Bowie tackling politics head on. Very ugly spectacle. What's, what's the politics here? I, well, I, I think I'm trying to take it apart. Something's going on in society. Dancing with the big boys. We're immediately in a political sphere. It's broad, non-specific. Death to the trees. They weren't bad. They were brave. Nothing is embarrassing except this Death song. To Death to the trees. They were too brave. It's a half-assed, vague allusion to politics. Bowie sucks on politics. He doesn't quite grasp the nuance of a political message. Um, well, you know, Loving the Alien is a sort of, is a sort of political song. It. He can no, do it. It's just, you know. Have we saved but, the best to last, John? Because we can't end on a turkey. We can't end on a turd. Let's go back to Blue Jean, which yes. uh, Hugh Padgham, in his infinite wisdom, thought was a turkey. But he's yeah. wrong. Um, it's a great song. Love it. Blue Jean, I just It's not marvellous. Here's the thing. 
it is. It's fine. Here's she's what it is. Spike. She's got a turned up nose, Joe. It's a competent follow-up to the Let's Dance tranche of singles. I first heard it in the context of Changes Boy, probably like you. And in that context, it really, it's, it works as a continuing example of Boy's canon. But if you drop it in the sludgy turds of tonight, it shines by dint of the fact that it's one of the least shit things, not in its own greatness. I don't know, I, I really like it. It's got one day I'm going to write a poem in a letter. The verses are great, but the chorus is... Which is, which is fantastic. You don't hear that. Nobody did these things like him. I'm going to get my faculty together. I'm going to get my faculty together. So, John, Blue Jean wasn't just a pop video. It was also a short film, wasn't it? (laughs) What a very leading comment. I spied, Um, tell me. Yes, it was. Uh, It was made into um, a 20-minute long-form pop video uh, featuring, um, I think, possibly three David Bowie songs um, by Julian Temple, written by, I always forget his name, it was written. Uh, who wrote one of my favourite plays, uh, Dead Funny, and also wrote um, that Nick Rogue film about Marilyn Monroe. I can't remember its name either. I'm shocked it was written. That's quite remarkable. It is remarkable because you don't get a sense of it being written. Oh. You get a sense of David turning up and arsing around for a few hours um, and riffing on the idea. I don't know what he's supposed to be in this. I don't know what... Is he like a hand, a cheeky cockney, a cheeky cockney everyman? Yeah. A bit of plumbing, a bit of painting, with a plaster on his nose. The plaster on his nose is a wee bit of business. He's is a, that you know, a riff on adamant? I mean, we don't know. Nothing or just, is clear in this. He's just a bit of blue collar rough. Yeah. <laughs> just... I was feeling very, very blue. When all of a sudden, she came around the corner. Right, she was the girl and I was the camera. And we were an advert for jeans, like you see in the pictures. So he goons are right trying to impress this woman in this short film. Who was referred to in the credits as Dream. That's her name. And the entire plot revolves around David Bowie, who's a painter and decorator and or plasterer and or someone who puts up advertising on, on, on billboards. Um, well, that's his job. It's trying to impress uh, a, a beautiful young woman by getting her tickets to go and see Screaming Lord Byron, uh, <laughs> who's a pop star, who's a bit like David Bowie. Um, and he does this by failing to do it. It's not entirely clear how he gets into the club. He, he does end up in a club at a table with yep. her to watch the show. He's spent most of the time arsing around trying to get in through windows, trying to be getting with a bouncer, um, which is some of the most embarrassing stuff I've ever seen on film. Hi. Nice jacket. My name's Vic. Like a t-shirt. I've got a t-shirt just like that at home. Were you on that tour? I caught that tour in Berlin. I thought they hung the music up on too much light and trickery and a bit OTT. Don't you agree? <laughs> it's never clear how he actually gets in the club. He's also playing two roles because he's also playing Screaming Lord Byron. Good evening, Keith. You look well. Thank you. How about you? Are you okay? I've got a teensy weensy little headache. I wonder if you might switch that thing off until I finish passing out. Thank you. Um, he eventually clears off with Dream, at which point uh, Bowie breaks the fourth wall and starts having a go at the director. Watching it with Eli last night, that was the best bit. 
the bit of business at the end where it's clear that yeah. Bowie has no control over what's happening and Julian Temple says, this is the ending I want, so screw you, basically. And Bowie goes, I've had a band-aid on my nose for a week. <laughs> <laughs> that's a metaphor for the entire Tonight Project. He surrendered control to those around him. So yeah. I don't know if that's a deliberate it, bit of business. It was a cry for help. He's, he's, yeah. he's David Bowie, every man. And uh, he can't get a break now in the corporate world because yeah. there are systems going on around him that are way outside of his experience and he can't influence them. I think you've hit on the, the nub of it there. But there was some great stuff. You know, there's a bit of business he does with a hairdryer. So much um, business in this. Yeah, there's <laughs> bits where he's trying on multiple outfits yeah. with Brian Ferry in the background. So it's, uh, How do you know it's Brian Ferry? It's not played by Brian Ferry, and he's called Percy in it. Well, he's dressed in an Anthony Price suit, and he's yep. reading Country Life. Ah, what do you think a well-dressed man looks like? Me, says Brian Ferry. Next scene, um, he appears in Brian Ferry's suit, which implies yeah. that he's killed or tied up Brian yeah. Ferry. Stolen his clothes. Or Grand um, Ferry's gagged and bound in his spotty underwear in a wardrobe with a country life rolled up and shoved into his mouth. That's the image that I like to have. Knock, knock. Can I come in? Give me some break, will you? Spencer, what's your definition of well-dressed? Well, it's me, isn't it? David is really channeling his inner Ian Beale in this. This is pre-Eastenders, though. Maybe this is where Adam Woody went. When he was looking for the Beale character, he went to jazzing for Blue Jean. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Lord Byron is very much Peter Wingard. On the other other end of the spectrum. Look at at his range. It's another example of super hetero boy. He's forgotten the side of him that's kind of unjudged. He's literally a straight man playing a big mincer. That's how straight men play what they think are mincing a fat man. It's a really overcooked piece of character. Business. The one thing you and I know about Boy, having watched the Linguini incident, he's always about the business, isn't he? There's bits of business everywhere. He he loves the business. Busy man. And yet, ironically, he hates the music business at this point. Did you enjoy Jasmine for Blue Jean? I love Jasmine for Blue Jean. I know you're, you're not a fan. I, I, mean, I liked it so much that I actually went on a bit of a, a, a sort of wormhole thing. And I looked up uh, Louise Scott, who played Dream in Jazz oh. in the Blue Jean, um, and checked out what her career was like in acting. So, according to IMDb, she had five, she did five jobs. Acting sure jobs or just jobs? Acting jobs. Uh, so, the first one she ever did, she came out of the, uh, the traps with Dream in Jazzing for Blue Jean in 1984. Straight out of the uh, traps. Then, then Lena in Taggart uh, in 1986. Then she takes a bit of a left-handed turn into a character called Isolation Auxiliary in uh, The Houseman's Tale in 1987. Then it's uh, Ground Controller. Uh, 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 coincidence. Uh, in Red Dwarf. In 1999. Hang on, wait a minute. Yeah, I know, full circle. And then it sort of peters out when she appears in The Ultimate Truth in 2004, playing Tree Protester number three. John, can I say something? That is a nice bit of business from you. I like what you did there. Nice, nice delve. It's a good time to delve. The other thing I did, of course, was, was look at people who did cover versions. Because I was very interested in Derek Bramble, very interested in Hugh Pageant. But actually, I mainly went down... That's not a sentence that anyone's ever uttered before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> but I mainly went down because obviously uh, Derek Bramble did uh, Spice of Life in nineteen eighty-three, which is amazing. These Sorry, John, tell me that again. I was too busy laughing every time I hear the name Derek Bramble. I burst into laughter. Derek Bramble did had a hit with uh, Spice of Life uh, with Manhattan Transfer in nineteen eighty-three. Oh. Um, and not many people can say they've worked both with David Bowie and Manhattan Transfer. It's a well-stocked CV, that one. Um, but Pageant, though, Genesis, Phil Collins, Sting, but also McFly. Ooh. And a nice run with McFly Ooh. later on there. Um, a nice run with McFly. Bob obviously invented that <laughs> game that out. But then I listened to Duran Duran's version of Success by Iggy Pop from their Fat View album. Yeah, that, really, the much maligned. It's one of the most hated. And then I, listened, then I listened to Tom Jones' version of Lust for Life. You did not have to do that. I went there, Joe, I went there. Do you know what? No. It's a duet with The Pretenders. Yes. So Chrissy Hine is on vocals as well half the yeah. time. I wish he had, because when, when Tom's on, you can totally fucking hear it. Oh, he man, it's excruciating. Oh, moment. no. We've been in a bit of a Tom Jones rabbit hole in our house during lockdown, and there's no song that Tom Jones can't slather, grope, and bully into submission. Horrible honking. Oh, my God. Lust for Life is particularly embarrassing. I don't know, Joe. You haven't lived and you, until you've heard Tom Jones sing, um, I'm just a modern guy. Of course I've had it. Of course in I've heard it. <laughs> of course I've had it in the year before. Imagine I'm looking at the lyrics, you're going, what is this shit? <laughs> Will this yeah. make me contemporary? Put some contemporary production. I'm a million in phrases. <laughs> Do you know he also did, on a bit of a Tom Jones tangent, he covered Portishead, and it's the most sphincter-tightening thing. Which one did he do? All mine. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> and in your head, you can immediately hear it. I'm hearing it now. It's yeah. that big note he did. Uh, uh, what was that song he did? It was like, Love Can't Turn Around by Daryl Pandy. It was like, he does a big note. Whoa, 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 whoa. What That's was that? A, if I only knew. If I only knew, yeah. yeah See that you note? Oh, man! I've had so you much screen. Oh, Tom Jones. <laughs> it's not a good thing, John. You're better than that. I've had so much well, free time you know. on my hands recently. I've turned out under ringtone on my phone. My phone ringtone is now, yeah, that note. You know, I don't know if I only knew. <laughs> It startles on buses, let me tell you. Yes, I can imagine it would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we've been talking you what. about David Bowie, but actually, it's all about Tom Jones now. I'll tell you what, what, I can see Tom Jones guesting on Blue Jean. I can see Tom Jones doing Blue Jean. Who's got a pony spike? Who's got a tongue up nose? <laughs> yeah, think we're going to dance now. Come here, my lovely, come here. <laughs> What's your name, my darling? I think we've done David Bowie there, haven't we? Um, Any last thoughts? Jason for Blue Jean, John. It won a Grammy. Yeah, it won David Bowie his only Grammy, which is hilarious. It contains the line, you're a bit thinner than ain't you, this time, Demis Roussos. Oh. And uh, there's a comical mix-up between Michael and Jesse Jackson during which David executes a whoop and a spin. It's shockingly... Well, they're both black guys. Come on. It's obviously... Uh, shockingly you know. inappropriate. Obviously, I do like it. It's clearly rubbish, but, I mean, yeah. I like the Linguini incident as well. So, you know, there's, there's an awful yeah. lot to be said for David Bowie 
I've not seen just a gigolo, but I imagine I'd like that as well. There's an awful lot to be said for David Bowie arsing about. I also, I have to say, I enjoyed sharing this stuff with my son. So we watched the video for Loving the Alien, and he was yeah. full of questions like, why are, the, why are those musicians all grey, Dad? Why is there a cardboard city behind David Bowie? Why is he kneeling on water, gliding across water with a blue face? I never think about not and having I, a son. And all I could say was, it was the 80s. It doesn't occur to me that people would even ask those questions. It's why genuine. Why like, do you like, question this? For him, it's like kind of forgotten history. It's archaeology. You know, it's just a Blue Jean film. Why is this happening? Why was this made? I don't understand why this was made. You know, it's like, what's going on? Why is Bowie doing that? Do you know what, son? I actually don't know. No, but I find this, I find this baffling. Is there a continuity link that I don't know about? Has there been a sort of seismic jump? Yeah. Because if you look back, if you watch um, Talking Pictures TV or something, you look at films and things from the past. A warm refuge. You don't question them. No. You don't go, well, why was this made? Because you know why this was made. You accept you as You can as understand is. the parameters at the time and you understand yeah. it. It seems to me young people genuinely don't understand why things exist that happened in the past. It's like... What, what, why would anyone do this? Yeah. Well, it was decided, but why isn't it like now? What was the purpose of making this? And it's actually quite difficult to explain because the parameters that they have yeah. is totally different. It is true. There was no reason for David Bowie to pretend to be a cockney white boy with a plaster on his nose, other than he could. There has, there has been a larger jump in, in popular culture, I yeah. think, in the last 20 years than there has been in the last 60 years. And it's, yeah. it's complete, you know... People go on about punk, and old sad punks go on about, oh, punk will come back and tear up the place. Punk's happened, and it's been a complete re-understanding of how this stuff even works. Oh, yeah, and you yeah. And noted, because you were still mired in the tradition. Absolutely. Claiming not to be involved yeah. in. You, you're, the, you're, you're it, you're the history. And we're sort of history as well. Yeah, because... well, wow, that's a rather sour note, John. I don't like to think of myself not as, sour. as calcified in any way. No, 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 it's fine. What, Fresh and vital. What should happen. Um, you know, th th there's been a completely different approach to the way this stuff works now. Um, and that's the way yeah. it should be. People should move on and things should change. People forget because they were born in the 50s and the yeah. 60s and the 70s that there hasn't always been pop music. Yeah, it has but, always been a major force in the world. Yeah, and yeah. ultimately, it will stop being that and something else will take its place. And I think we're already in the foothills of seeing that. We've I had think. this discussion more than yeah. once. But I also think there was a lot of conspicuous consumption in the 80s, not least of which was cocaine. There's an immense sense of gratuitousness. Things were made because they could be made, but because they should be made. Well, that's what you do when you have a bit of money and you're a rock star. So we make a film, let's make a film. And for me, I think the most interesting thing about Jazz and Gerblugian is it's probably the most creative artifact from that period of Bowie's history. You know, that's how art is made. Yeah. You know, that's like Medici money. That's like, this is, this is what you do. Yeah. It's just money lying around and you think it will generate something. You yeah. make a thing with it. It's not like now where, you know, you have yeah. to get funding from somewhere. So you have to go, yeah. well, you know, this needs to be about a thing and this needs to be that's about... That's very precise. Say, it was like we'll make something because we can and we'll be arsing around and we'll get this playwright in to write it and we'll get Julian Temple, the punk yeah, yeah. to film it and it'll be great and it'll just be a fantastic artifact. Yeah. People will love it. It's not like that now. Decadence was kind of uh, part of the package, literally no longer possible, which I guess is why it's possible to explain to a 21-year-old 
why it needed to be made. And also, it is kind of embarrassing. Yeah, the, mechanisms <laughs> made, the mechanisms that made it are no longer in place. Yeah, yeah. You know, there isn't the diversity of, um, uh, of record labels, there isn't the diversity of money. Yeah. And actually, there's no need for, for, for this sort of music anymore. It's not, it's not driving the culture the way it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. First pop star when I'm, I'm just going to go on an advert and not do a video. Yeah. Then that's it, game over, man. So, you know, like, there's a bizarre notion that, that we hang on to that in the past people wouldn't do adverts because they were sending out to the man. And now the only possible way you, you can recoup any money is to get a fucking advert. Yeah. That's how you earn money now. Well, that's the co-option of music. There's no notion that you know, you're sending out to the man. If you yeah. don't send out to the man, you, you will die. You'll get nothing. You have to join the machine or wither, basically. Sadly true. Say that, but the machine isn't the same machine. It's well, the music industry has collapsed in its place. Advertising industry, marketing, the digital downloads industry, and so on yeah. and so forth. I was talking to a friend about this last night. We all kind of romanticized those golden ages of A&R men and record launch. It was a disgusting, vile, capitalist machine. It just happened yeah. to have a positive byproduct sometimes, which was brilliant music, but the musicians weren't in any way benefiting overall from the machinery of the record industry. The record industry was, and it's just been replaced by a bunch of others. That's not a happy note to end on, but I will say this, Boy at that time was right in the jaws of the record industry. AMI had him by the cojones, and they wanted product, and that's what they got. This is, this is basically proving your point. You say, like, the, 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 you're, you're caught in the jaws of the machine, and uh, you can chew anyone up and you can destroy everything and it wasn't a good place to be occasionally yeah. it, it made good art but oftentimes it stopped uh the function of good art if you can't if you're david bowie and you yeah. can't work within that environment then it's a stultifying and hideous environment and actually it's probably best that it's gone yeah so, i think it's interesting massive amounts of, of brilliant music being made yeah. It's just not, you know, it's just not being going through the same channels. It's not as, yeah. known. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not the same thing. There'll always be music. It's, it's just going to come at you in different ways now. You may actually have to look for it yourself, which is fine. Get off your hole and look for it, you mean? Yeah, fucking hell. Well, that's no different from 20, 30 years ago when you had to save money, go to a record store, buy a physical record and take it home. But yeah. what was that if not foraging for music? Finding your sound, finding your tribe, finding out when your band was playing in town. All of that was a you know, We're old. We romanticised this stuff. But there are no tribes now, really. You can't, you can't identify what someone listens to by what they're yeah. wearing. It's certainly a thing that's gone. In relation to, to that string of the 80s albums that Bowie made, I think it's quite interesting that after the palate cleanser of Tin Machine, and I'm just a bloody bloke in a band, and started clawing back his respectability in Verticomas, Bowie did two things. He embraced the internet really quickly. That was almost like, I think, a reaction. Yeah. Or the idea that he offered some kind of artistic liberty. He also struggled for the rest of his days with record labels. He couldn't hang on to one after yeah. he stopped being a stadium star and became a serious heritage artist, you know, an art rocker again. He went from album to album and label to label. Station to well, station, everyone. The fact that David Bowie, post-EMI, couldn't find a record label as a home is quite telling about how the industry went. I don't know. I think that's his revenge on the record industry. You think I so? Think they fucked him over. And I think when you, when you embrace the internet and you go, there's a, you know, because he had a handle on the internet far, much quicker than everybody else. And he knew what a huge game changer it was going to be. And yeah, he was saying he really stuff was. at the time, even I remember being faintly Dismissive. mocking of him. Bowie's latest Really, fan. Dave? Yeah. Really? We'll all be going to work in Rocket Packs in 2020, was it, was it? You know, whatever, Dave. 
but he turned out to be extremely prescient. And that's where the music industry has transplanted itself. That's the thing. He was always right about that stuff. He was less right about the music from about the mid-80s onwards. He was far more interested in stuff that wasn't music. And it was only when, right at the end of his career, that he started making, I, I think, great records again. But, it was a long road back, though. For that and then he just got jazz, so, you know, you know. Which was, I think, I think always he was a jazz man who could never do jazz because there was no money in it. And yeah. it wasn't really forte. But it was rich and successful and dying, so he thought, fuck it. I just make, I just hang around with jazz guys now and do jazz yeah. stuff. I'm a jazz man. Yeah, but he always was, I think. His first instrument was a saxophone. I think he always wanted to be a saxophonist. Brown Ferry was a jazz man as well. He used to collect Charlie Parker, Ornette Coleman records as a kid. So they come from that sensibility of musical expressionism, I suppose, tethered to a pop sensibility. Stop some... talking about Brian Ferry. What the hell are you doing? Let it go, man. But Brown Ferry features in Jazz for Blue Jeans, so it's clear that there was a friendly rivalry. Years later, Brown Ferry was asked, have you seen Jazzing for Blue Jean? And he said, no, what's that? And he went, well, it's a David Bowie video, and you're in it. And he goes, what? The cheeky bastard. <laughs> Brown Ferry actually called Bowie a cheeky bastard. So that's my Brown Ferry moment. Okay, we can move on, John. So, what, um, so I wonder what David Bowie had to say in summation about the Tonight album. Oh, God. Did he have any final words, you think, about that album? Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, I've read over the years his, his attitude to it changed. Look, I do a really bad impression of David Bowie, right? Are you going to so, do a David Bowie impersonation? Bear in mind. Amazing. <clears throat> I can't remember how you do this now. I sing quite well earlier. Try songs. I think these songs wrong. I thought it was great material that got simmered down to a product level. I really should have not done it quite so studioly. I think some of it was a waste of really good songs. You should hear the demos from those albums. It's night and day by comparison with the finished tracks. <laughs> it's night and day. I do sound like song. I very much left everybody else to it, I must say. I just came in with the songs and the ideas and how they should be played and then just watched them put it all together. It was great. I didn't work very hard in those terms. I feel quite <laughs> about it. I did five or six pieces of writing and I do sting a lot. And then Hugh Padgham and Derek put the sound together between them. It was nice not to be involved in that. Work. <laughs> I've got to the point where I wanted to get where it's really organic sound. It's mainly sax. There's no saxophones on this day. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think there's only two lead guitar solos on it. There's tens of thousands of Fucking terrible. It's absolutely liar. Yeah, liar. Get down, <laughs> down in front. Uh, no synthesizers to speak of. What? <laughs> it's really got the band sound that I wanted. That horn sound. Yeah, it has got the horn sound. No, oh, the fucking Borneo it's horns. Got the fucking Borneo horns. Slathered all over it. Like, I got excrement well, on well, a prison well, wall. John. It's lovely to hear from the man himself in closing. It's nice to hear from the man himself, isn't it? About an hour and a half now, so you're going to have some trouble cutting this thing off. Oh, I don't think I'll have any trouble cutting this, John. Yeah, <laughs> oh, baby. I've got my secateurs ready and my critical well, eye. Maybe that was the problem with this album, Joe, that David Bowie was sick of tours. Oh! Oh, yeah! Late in the day, bit of wordplay. Do you think, yeah. in some way, Bowie kept 
going back to Iggy or, or doing Iggy songs to, as, as a way of sustaining Iggy, you know, financially. I think it was like a gift, a terrible gift. In some <laughs> shape or form. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I think he had a stake in those songs anyway because he co-wrote a, a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, it doesn't seem to make much sense. I mean, I don't know what happened to them after this because they seem to go very different ways, very, do very, very different things. Yeah. But they were inseparable for about five years. And, oh, I've just remembered something, actually. The one oh. good thing that came out of this, uh, the last good Iggy Pop album from that period, Blah Blah Blah, came out a year and a half later. It was, it's, a, it's essentially a boy co-write with Iggy. There's about four or five songs on that that are better than anything that actually ended up on Tonight. Tonight could have been... Could have been blah, blah, blah. Beautifully crafted moments like blah, blah, blah does. Put Shades on it as well. Shades, yep. Shades is a cracking tune. That's a good song. Yeah, produced and wah-wah'd by Bowie. When it was Iggy, he put everything into it. He wrote, he produced. I genuinely think, and here's my, here's my big take on Tonight. John's hot take... John's lukewarm tape. It's tepid take time with Ooh. John. I genuinely think that the success that came off the back of Let's Dance killed his interest in music for about half a decade. And I, I, I think he just floated along and didn't have any interest or input and yeah. immediately um, moved his interest because he's always had a questing mind. He always wanted to go and do different things. Yeah. The one thing that he was famous for that was, you know, there, open for him. Yeah. Bored out of his fucking mind. Hated it. Went on, wanted to go off and do art and start painting and do yeah. food sculpture and do all sorts of mad shit and do anything but this. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true. I think he, he had no interest in, in music or even approaching music. Um, and he, I don't think he actually, I think it threw him so far off his equilibrium that he yeah. didn't write himself maybe for another oh. decade. And I think his head was everywhere but on his music. And I think yeah. that's fine. What amazes me is actually some of these songs are pretty good. He, he sings beautifully all the way through. Um, and it really is the production and the 80s-ness of it. And the fact that he's not engaged at all has made this such, I mean, you know. Yeah. There are some songs in this are irretrievable, but there are four or five songs on this yeah. album which could have been good. Nah. And it's the same for the album after this, which has a couple Never of really good songs. Yeah, he's clearly interested in. And then a load of dross that's just there. Tonight benefits from not having a Mickey Rourke rap on it, so it does have that in its favour. Unlike the Never think, Let Me Down album. I think we can say that that is in its favour. Yeah. Also, I think probably Never Let Me Down is worse than this. I've been weighing this up in my mind. It's not. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> it, it, no, it's genuinely not. There, there's enough. <laughs> honestly, there's enough, there's enough moments there. It's ruined by Frampton. Frampton, unfortunately, comes alive and Never Let Me Down. <laughs> this album is ruined, I think, by Bowie himself not being present. That's because he was involved. He wasn't interested. It's yeah. not his area at this point. He's just bored and rich and I think massively concussed by success. I think <laughs> that's, that, that's, a very, that's a very apt description, John. I like that. Yeah, I think he's reeling from what's happened to him. And I don't think, I don't think there's, any, there's, there's been any sort of uh, 
any preparation for this because yeah. like i say he, you know he he started out you know 10 years of failure and then 10 years as an arty cult artist who sold a lot of records nothing was like let's dance it just exploded it was worldwide and suddenly he had to be things for people who had never been in his audience suddenly he had to deliver to people who were the sort of people who beat him up at school right it's like the final reel of Velvet Goldmine, he had to change everything about him that made him yeah. interesting, from his sexuality to his creative vision to his artistic sensibility to the clothes he wore, which even Joe, the colour of his skin. Which Joe is why that film isn't that bad, although it is quite bad. <laughs> That's a subject for another podcast, I think. I have some strong opinions about Velvet Goldmine. Okay, in that case, I think we should do that. But it, well, let's draw a veil over this. Sorry. Debacle. So I think we've successfully trailed the next one whilst wrapping up this one. Okay. Thanks we for did. doing your David Bowie impersonation, John. It's as fresh as it that ever was. That was a terrible David Bowie impression. I don't know what's going on there. I, I did a really a, good one, guys. The magic's um, in the edit, John. No, no, what no are you it's do? been very nice talking to you, John. It's been very interesting for me. It's, it's, been, frankly, it's been delightful. I mean, I've, I've, never, I've never really done it like this before. It's There's never no felt, way we can make this not sound homoerotic. It's never felt um, this good before. It's never felt... It's your biceps, I think. I'm blinded by the guns. Is that not a Wilfred Owen poem? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> John, it's been a delight, and I didn't realize that I missed you until I saw you. So there you go. Oh, well, That's all you get from me. Yeah. Uh, let's not go for pints. Let's not listen to tonight for a long time either. Let's Take not leave on that. Hang on. What's a good David Bowie song from this? There must be something we can go out on. Loving the alien. Not the red dwarf thing. Here's the thing, right? Yep. For, for the, the, the average viewer at home, we both love loving the alien. It's a great opener to our album. It's a brilliant song. It's a great, dun, 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 great video, but it has the fucking red dwarf bit in it. I find it massively off. Of course, it's not it, it, it came out. Uh, it came out um, before, came... but that's all you can hear now.
we should go out on. What? That Bon Jovi song that's... Uh, that's uh, the song's like Blackstar? A rip up of Black Star. That's a bit hard. It's not a rip up of Black Star, John. You've got that wrong. John, um, no, John, tell the truth. It's not a rip off of Black Star, is it? Listen to the words I used, Joe. That song that was a rip off of Black Star, but somehow was written five years before. <laughs> Don't understand I'm how John. it worked. So, was, so John Bon Jovi's time traveling experiments worked? Yeah, it needs it. Leave it, John. <laughs> what are you going to do, John? Now you can time travel. Kill Hitler? No, I'm going to go back in time and prefigure Black Star. <laughs> really going to fuck it up. Really going to fuck it up. We both love Loving the Alien. It's a great opener to an album. But it has the fucking red dwarf bit in it. But that's all you can hear now. Dun, 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 You don't think you know. David Boy borrowed John Bon Jovi's time machine and went back to 1984? <laughs> <laughs> I think if David Bowie got his time machine, he would have shot himself in the head and created some sort of bootstrap paradox. I've no <laughs> idea what paradox. Which was the title for his next album, coincidentally. Yeah. David Bowie, he can time travel. I like the idea of John Bon Jovi and David Bowie involved in the grave and slap us down for this bullshit. You didn't <laughs> understand that album at all. You're an idiot. I like the yeah. idea of John Bon Jovi time traveling to cover Black Star in advance. <laughs> <laughs> this will show them, this will show them all. Do you think that's what he's going to do? Von Jovi's just going to go back in time and, and, and troll and everybody. <laughs> yeah, we could be heroes. They actually covered that. Did he? Of course they did. I'll find no, it. Don't find, don't find it. If you find it, bury it. How long were we chatting there for, John? Uh, I think it's...